We have done three weeks. This is going to be completely different. So if you missed the other two weeks, you can either download it or you can get a CD of it. But this is our third week on the subject. This is the day which the Lord hath made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. And this is a entirely different subject or study on it, if you want. So you're fine. We don't need to do even a recap this evening. Um, in, in our reading, in the whole psalm, if you want, there are three points I want to make this evening and go straight into them. The first one is, it speaks of a day of visitation. This is the day which the Lord hath made. It speaks of a day of visitation. Secondly, it speaks of a day of vicarious atonement. This is the day which the Lord hath made vicarious atonement. And thirdly, it speaks of victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day which the Lord hath made. First of all, we look at this is the day of visitation. So when we think of this is the day that the Lord hath made, the Lord hath made a day of visitation. The word made here is the word Asa. And it means to work upon anything. It means to make, to produce by labor, to manufacture, to fabricate. We all know what it is when we're making things with our own hands. It means to create. In other words, it comes from your own creative mentality. It also means to produce something from one's self. To produce something from one's self. And it also means something that is used of God as a pre-arranging of future events. So this is the day which the Lord hath made. It gives the idea that God has prearranged certain days for then from eternity through time. It would be future events. Future events throughout human history. And some of those events have already taken place. And as we looked at last week, we looked at some of the nations in the battle of that great day of God Almighty. When we looked at Ezekiel chapter 38 last week, 39. And you see, it's a future day. The Lord said, this is the day. And it was a day of vengeance. Here we have, this is the day of visitation. The day of visitation. Psalm 118 and verse 26, please. Notice this. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Now, Psalm 118 would have been sang, and we'll look at it a little bit more in a moment. It would have been sang as what's known as the Hallel. And Psalm 118 was also sang by our Lord Jesus Christ the night he was betrayed and the night he was tried, leading to his crucifixion. Psalm 118 shows our Lord singing this in the upper room. And he would be singing, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. In other words, the priests used to sing this, praising God out of the temple. And now our Lord takes the praise from the Jewish temple, and he now places the praise into a living temple. That is the body of Christ. He places it into his ecclesia, his elect called out, born again saints. 
Now, I notice this, brothers and sisters. It says here that there's a prophetic utterance of the visitation of Christ. Also, remember the psalmist is writing this hundreds of years beforehand. And here it's prophetic utterance of the visitation of our Lord Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem in the last week of his earthly ministry. We can read it in either Matthew 21 and verse 9, and Mark chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, or Luke chapter 19 and verse 38. But we'll take our reading from John chapter 12 and verse 13. The crowds are lining the street as Christ is going in upon a little donkey, as it were, the foal of an ass, a colt. And as he's going in, the crowds at Jerusalem are crying, Hosanna, or save, O save, in other words. Here is salvation entering the city of Jerusalem. Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. It was during this week that while the crowd shouted praises, that at the end of this week, or by within around five days' time, it was a crowd who also cried for his crucifixion. It was a crowd that cried, we will not have this man to rule over us. Crucify him, crucify him. And so it was during this week that the mob cried for his death. For this was the day. This is the day when the psalmist talks about, and this was a day fixed. This was a day used of God and pre-arranged from eternity. This was a day he worked on, as it were, to bring this day to pass, that Christ would go through those gates and they would cry, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, or blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And it was during this week, brothers and sisters, which the Lord Jesus Christ, also going in and out that week of Jerusalem to Bethany, that first of all, he cursed the fig tree. And it was in this week also, secondly, he cleansed out the adulterous, vile temple of the Jewish Pharisees and scribes. He takes cords and he makes them into whips and he turns over their tables of the money changers and he whips them out of the temple, cleansing the temple of the Lord. Of course, that was symbolic of how he would cleanse that vileness out of the temple and the Jewish fig tree would also be cursed, representing the cursing of the Jewish nation. Notice this. Go with me, if you will, please. And we want to look at it, and we want to look at it in a bit of detail, so please uh, stay with me. Go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 11. Mark's gospel, chapter 11. And notice what is going on here. Mark chapter 11. Let your eye, please, just run down. Let your eye run on down to verse... 10, please. Verse 9, And they went before him, and they that followed him cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem, into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all these things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany, with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, 
He came if happily he might find any thing thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter, notice forever, forever. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. Christ goes in and has a crowd before and behind, crying, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're cheering, they're crying out unto him, and they're throwing down the the palm branches before him. And yet then when he goes out, he comes back out of the city to Bethany, and the next morning he goes back in, and he's proving a point. He's showing something to his disciples. The fig tree was a symbol of Jewry. The fig tree was a symbol of the, the, the Jewish people, if you want. And the olive tree was also a symbol of Israel. The vine was a symbol of all Israel also. But the fig tree was the symbol of the Jews, or Jewry. And here Christ, the next morning, walking into Jerusalem, he sees a fig tree, and he walks over to it. Now they had been crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to him the day before. And he goes to find fruit, and he finds none on it. And he speaks a word to the tree. Now this tree wasn't a little bramble bush where you pick blackberries or something like a little plant like strawberries. This was maybe a 20 to 30 foot tree. And the branches hanging down, and he would have tried to reach up to pick fruit, and he finds the foliage, and he finds the leaves on it. And when he gets there, there's no fruit on it. He speaks the word, and the tree starts to wither. In fact, is it not the next day when they're going in again, that Peter even says, Master, behold a fig tree, which I curse, how it's withered up, and others behold, he was shocked. He was amazed. Peter was in awe. He was stunned by it. He couldn't believe this with his own eyes, that this great tree had withered down to nothing. But Christ, when he spoke the word, he says, no man shall eat fruit on thee henceforth forever. Now, Jesus says forever, he means forever. Now, here's what I want to ask you. If Christ says he will save you and you're saved forever, do you want him to change his mind? Do you believe him that it's forever? Then pray tell me why in today's society and Christian living are so many Zionist Christians trying to help the Jews go back to Jewry? Answer me the question. No one can answer it because Christ cursed it. Instead of bringing men to Christ, they're bringing them back to the old ways of Jewry. He says, no man shall eat fruit of thee. Henceforth, forever. Now forever means forever, brothers and sisters. In the word of God. Here we have the Lord saying forever. And that's what's come to pass. Look, I don't make any apology 
for saying that I believe there's one way to the Father. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's one Savior, there's one saving name, there's one precious blood, there's one sacrifice, and there's nothing else. Jesus, Jesus only. Here we have the Lord cursing the fig tree. And even though they're crying, Hosanna, the next day he curses it. And by a few days later, they're crying, crucify him. Who would have thought that? And I say to you, Jesus knows every single heart. He knows every single heart. Every single heart in this room. Christ knows your very mind. He knows your thinking. He knows your motives. He knows your ideas. He knows your ways. He knows what's behind it all. And he sees it. If you don't know him, or you're living wrong before him, he knows it all. Here, you would think, but they're crying, Hosanna, Jesus. He says, these people will reject me by the end of the week. Do you know why? Because it was a day which the Lord had made. It was the day in which the Lord had made. So here we have the Lord cursing the fig tree. And then, of course, we're told that he goes into the temple. And Mark, uh, Luke chapter 19 and verse 44. You can read the rest of the chapter or the beginning, more of the chapter before that. But in Luke chapter 19, there's something that happens here when our Lord starts to look at the great ornate temple that is. The temple that took 40 and 6 years in building. The temple of, of great edifice that, that, that covered a vast amount of what's known as the Temple Mount. Covered it in this great edifice. Would, it was like a city in itself standing on a hill outside, as it were, up, up even above Jerusalem. This massive temple and everyone standing at all at the size of the building. Look at these buildings and what a wonderful temple. And I appreciate architect, but architecture, but here we have the Lord saying something about this. Now take note again. Luke 19, verse 44. He speaks of a time that the Lord hath made. He speaks of a time of a judgment that God had pronounced. He speaks of a time when God would take the house and leave it desolate. Your house is left unto you desolate, he said to them. That is your temple. This is when Titus, the Roman prince, if you want for a better word, was sent through by uh, Domitian or uh, the, 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 the Caesar, Roman Caesar, to take over Jerusalem. You can see the arch of Titus in Rome today. And it depicts when Rome went in and they decimated the city of Jerusalem and they killed thousands of them. That's why Jesus warned him. When you see the armies encamping round about Jerusalem, he says, flee onto the hills of Judea. And those who heard the word of God and received the word of God and acted on the word of God and did the word of God, they were saved. They were saved from the destruction. And they went right into the temple and they destroyed the temple. Here Christ is prophesying of it in Luke chapter 19. Listen to what he says in one verse, verse 44. They shall not leave one stone upon another because, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. 
because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. In other words, listen. See if you were Abraham's seed. If you were Abraham's children, you would know the word of the Lord. You would take the word of the Lord. You would believe the word of the Lord. You would act on the word of the Lord. And you would know the word of the Lord. You would know about me, he says. I am the one to come. To him give all the prophets witness. But you missed your day. You missed your time of my visitation. Brothers and sisters, God forbid that one as an assembly that we ever miss the time, even once, even one meeting, the time of the Lord's visitation. God forbid that even once we miss the time of the Lord's visitation when he comes in power and glory to resurrect the dead in our nation. God forbid that we miss the Lord's visitation if we're unsaved and the Lord is speaking to our hearts in the time of your visitation for it is appointed on the man once to die but after this the judgment. Oh, if they had a listened, they couldn't hear. What he says to the Pharisees, you cannot hear because you're not my sheep. You're not mine. They missed the time of their visitation. See the word visitation here? It's a word, episcopal. It's actually close to the word episcopal. And you can have the word bishop comes out of this word too. But this is what it really means. That you missed the time of your visitation or I came down to investigate. I came down to investigate. I came down and you missed your inspection. It gives the idea that it's the act by which God looks into and searches out the ways, the deeds, and the character of men in order to judge them their lot accordingly, whether they have done good or bad. An almighty God came down and added humanity to his deity. And he walked upon this earth and he visited these people. He came to see their deeds. He came to see their ways. And all he could see was the traditions of men, as he called them. And all he could see was death. You're not mine, So here we have the Lord cursing this fig tree, coming to visit it and finding it wanting. I wonder what the Lord would say when he comes to Donacrone Elam about you. What would the Lord say when he's here in our midst and you're refusing him? What if he came down to inspect how you're getting on in him. What if the Lord came into this church here, into this building, and started to investigate our ways and our motives? If the Lord came to Great Britain tonight, there'd be a lot of investigation to do. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13, please. 
Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Listen to this parable. Verse 6, please. The Lord Jesus speaks unto them. He speaks also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Vineyard was the area of the Holy Lands, if you want, but the vineyard is Israel, the vine. But in it was a fig tree. There's a difference. Notice this. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Now notice the similarity here, and found none. He said unto, unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, wine cumbereth it the ground. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Now notice verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. He was teaching in a Jewish synagogue. He says, you're the fig tree. I have been here three years preaching to you the kingdom of God. I have been here showing you the power of the kingdom of God. I have been here as the God of the kingdom of God. I have been here for three years and almighty God the Father, he would, as it were, pluck you up. Take you up by the roots, in other words. But even to be justified, God's just in all his ways. He's justified in all he does. God, in his mercy, has given another year, as it were. In this year, he says, they're looking for fruit. And six months into that year, it's the... It's the middle of the year. That's not a future one-man antichrist middle of a seven-year period. This is the middle of the year we're talking about, not Daniel 9 for us. In the middle of the year, Christ was cut down and the Lord uprooted the fig tree. Pulled down the temple. You know why? Because he had a new temple in the building. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He had a scattered people and he had a calling to gather them again. That's you and that is me. Notice this. We have a day of visitation which they met. Secondly, quickly, and these are shorter, these ones, I think. We have, this is the day of vicarious atonement. This is the day which the Lord hath made, the day of vicarious atonement. Psalm 118 again, please. Psalm 118. And please let your eye just run down to verse 27. God is the Lord which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords. 
even to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. Now, this is tremendous to think of him singing this. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. He used to take the sacrifice, and as they bound it, and they slit the animal's throat and out poured the blood. And here it was bound, it was fixed. Here is a day, the day which the Lord hath made, and is the day of vicarious atonement. If you were to study into Psalm 118, here's what you'll find, that the reading of this, as I said, and the singing of it was through celebration, and it was to do with the Passover time. It actually reverts back to when Israel were in Egypt and the lamb was slain and the blood was put on the doorpost and the door lintels of the house. And when that was applied, the Lord says that he was passing through Egypt that night in judgment. But listen to what the Lord said. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The only thing that God will recognize in your redemption is the blood. If we have a bloodless redemption, we have no redemption at all. If we have a bloodless salvation, we have no salvation at all. If we have a bloodless atonement, we have no atonement at all. Matter who you are, nor what you think you are, no matter where you're from, there must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. And the blood was shed at Calvary's cross. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I think about this. He's going to go to the cross. And this is the day which God had ordained. This is the day which the Lord had made. He had fixed it for him. And this night he's going to the cross and he's saying this. Oh, he says, take this sacrifice and bind it with cords, the horns of the altar. Notice what he cries. And I think it's beautiful. Thou art my God and I will praise thee. Thou art my God and I will exalt thee. Can we say that when we're going through things? Thou art my God. And I will praise thee. I'm heartbroken. I'm wrecked. I'm devastated. I'm hurting. But thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. You know, as we look at him on the cross, we could all sing that. You, Lord Jesus, thou art my God. God is the Lord. He is almighty God. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bottom. Here we have a sign or signifying Israel's redemption from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb and by God's power and his mighty right arm. And here again, it's Passover. Passover, again, is when they remembered the shedding of blood, the slaying of a lamb. Christ himself would sing this. Our blessed Lord would sing it this very night. He would go to Gethsemane, he would be arrested, he would be tried, he would be crucified. 
It's in the same night in which he instituted our, our, the Lord, our Lord's Supper, where we, on a Sunday morning, gather around the table. In the same night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the same manner, also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And here he's saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. What new covenant? You're told throughout the world that this is a new covenant that a future one-man antichrist will make with the Jews and then break it again. Listen, brothers and sisters, there is no new covenant like that in the Scriptures. The new covenant is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33. He says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. That's the new covenant. And here he hangs on a cross in Calvary. He ratifies a new covenant. Covenant of blood. Covenant of love. Covenant of grace. We're told in Matthew 26 and 30, you see him singing this. Matthew records in 26 and 30, and when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Sometimes this Hallel, it goes from Psalm 113 to around Psalm 118. And when they're singing this, they're saying it's during Passover and it's praise and worship of the Lord and the laying down of our Lord Jesus Christ as the final sacrifice for all sin. And here, whenever they're singing this, also added to it would be Psalm 136. Now, we haven't time to read it. But you read Psalm 136 in every verse. You imagine our Lord as he is singing this. Let me just quote one or two verses And it's too long for me to go through it all this evening. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Every verse, his mercy endureth forever. 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 Every verse, and our blessed Lord is singing it, looking at the cross. He received no mercy that you may receive mercy. That you and I can say, your mercy, Lord, endureth forever. Do you know what mercy is? When we do not get that which we do deserve, Bound for a lost eternity. A lake of fire. To be lost in our sin and separated from God forever. And remember, forever means forever. And he did not give us that. You know why? Because he loved us. Because he loved you. And because he loved me. something to tell you. People don't like you to say this. Listen, we're told he set his love in Israel, Deuteronomy 7. He set his love in you and me. Have something to tell you that don't like it. You're his choice. (laughs) Did you hear that, brother, sister? You are his choice. 
This in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. It says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And yes, this is the day of vicarious atonement. The word vicarious simply means substitute. It gives the idea of a substitute. I'm not a football follower, but as many of you would like to, to play the football or watch the football or whatever. And you know a substitute, one goes on, one comes off. Simple. That's a substitute. You know what? See that cross? I should have hung there, but I came off and he went on. You should have been there, but he came off and you went on. See, the wrath that was poured out upon him when the sky turned black and the wrath of the Father was fully meted out upon him. And he cried, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Do you see at that time? You should have been there and I should have been there, but his mercy endured forever. And he substitutionary stood in my place and in yours. We came off and he went on. We come off and he went on. That's it in a nutshell. The idea, the fact of it is, is that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ, his son on the cross as a substitution for the guilt incurred by man at the fall. And that Adam's race will escape punishment provided that they accept by faith that once and for all great sacrifice and substitutionary offer of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means. That he took my place. Burying shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! Yes, tis heaven. This is the day Jesus sang of great sacrifice. This is the day that Jesus sang of final sacrifice. This is the day that Jesus sang off of God's sacrifice. This is the day of the full atonement. This is the day of sins forgiven. This is the day of precious shed blood. This is the day of provided payment. This is the day of the substitution. This is the day of Israel's redemption and the salvation for the whosoever will. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Praise his name. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, The blood of Jesus cleanseth us from all sin. I'm going to get all Pentecostal on you in a minute. I'll have to wash myself. Bless his name. Let me get a wee drink. I was going to start dancing. Bless the Lord. Yes, the Father, as it were, worked towards this day. He worked on this day. He created it. He planned it. He purposed it. He produced it. And he pre-arranged it. You see, Calvary was not an afterthought. Calvary was not an afterthought. This was all in the plan and the purpose of Almighty God. Before there was a sinner on the earth, there was a Savior in heaven. Isaiah 53, for our great substitute says that he was wounded, listen, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed, all we like sheep. I've gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh hath laid on Yahshua. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen to First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Christ has a full atonement, and it's a vicarious atonement. On the cross. Here he sings this knowing his destiny. Thirdly and finally, this is the day of victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 118, please, verse 23. Rather, let's go to Psalm 118 and verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. Here we have the rejected stone. The stone which the builders refused. Here we have the rejected headstone or cornerstone. The rejection speaks of death. The rejection speaks of death. There's also an exaltation here which speaks of life and resurrection. Go with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, please. And let's just read a verse or so there. Now remember, this is around 700 years, maybe a little more, before our Lord came in the form of a man. Verse 16, Isaiah 28, verse 16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, that he that believeth shall not be condemned or make haste. Now notice this. Notice this. He lays a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone that is a a sure foundation. Why would the Lord say this? I'll tell you why. Isaiah chapter 8, please, this time. This is why. We're jumping through history here, so you'll have to forgive me. We're going back a little ways again. Why did the Lord say that he would bring this stone? Notice this. Isaiah chapter 8, let your eye just run down. We'll skip across a verse or so here. Let your eye run down to verse 14, please. And he shall be for a sanctuary. Notice he, not it. He shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. For a gin gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Notice this. 
Here the Lord Jesus comes. And he is the one who sends forth his gospel to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He is the one who is rejected by jury. He is the one who is crucified on the cross. And notice what the Lord says here. Even in Isaiah's day, he's prophesying of the northern kingdom of the ten tribes being carried away captive. You can read that chapter, the Assyrians come. And then, of course, Babylon, as I told you many times, carry away Judah. And the Lord says, herein is a judgment. But herein is something else when we go to chapter 20 at verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth on him shall not make haste or shall not be condemned. In other words, what he's saying is that God's Israel will be a Christian people believing in him. That's what he's saying. Herein is the foundation, not man's agenda, not man's tradition. He says, not Babylonian Talmudism, not Judaism. He says, but true Christianity, birth from Christ himself. says, he is the foundation, and he is a stone that will be tried. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus says to the chief priests and the elders of the, and the people in the temple, notice this, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, notice what the Lord says there. He goes, takes us right back to our reading, Psalm 118. Let's go back to Psalm 118. We're almost finished this, and thank you for your attention. Verse 22, the stone which the builders refused or rejected has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Christ goes into the temple, tells him it will be torn down. He curses the fig tree, and then he goes and he starts to teach the kingdom of God. He gets crucified, he goes to the tomb, he's risen from the dead, he ascends into heaven, and he's returning again for his kingdom. He's coming back to his vineyard. And he's looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit. I notice this. The builders rejected The same has become the head of the corner. What does he mean? Peter, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 10, and he's preaching and he's speaking to those around Jerusalem and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jews are all there. Notice what he says in verse 10, Acts 4 and 10. Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, notice whom ye crucified. Whom God raised. Notice this. Whom ye crucified. Whom God raised. You crucified him as Father raised him. Whom God raised from the dead. Even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. Which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Like Peter says. He says, now you listen. The temple's still standing. They're still sacrificing. They'll still go up and they'll still sit in their synagogue and they'll still do it all. But Peter says, now you listen. You crucified him. God raised him and there's no other name whereby a man can be saved. Now, brothers and sisters, you can argue with that. I won't because that's the word of God. That's the word of God. And you can go all over the place now and they'll tell you there's a dual covenant theology. They'll tell you there's another way of salvation. They'll tell you a sacrifice in a future temple will be a way. Now listen, brothers and sisters, that is a lie from the pit of hell. In fact, that comes from the very mind of a Jesuit priest. Notice this. There's no salvation to be found in any other. It's not found in Elam Church. It's not found in the Free Presbyterian Church. It's not found in the Methodist Church. And it's not found in the Church of Ireland. And it's not found in the Presbyterian Church. It's not found in the Congregationalists. It's not found in the Brethren. It's not found in the Baptists. It's not found in the Church of Rome. Salvation is found in a man. And he is our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ alone. My hope is found. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2 and 20 says that you and I are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is a day of victory. Why? Because the exalted one speaks of his coming again. God has raised him. And the Lord Jesus sitting in that upper room, praising his father, saying that his God will be exalted. In other words, father, as a man, he's crying, father, you will be exalted. Father, you are going to glorify me. Father, you are going to give me the kingdom. Father, I'm going to come in power and great glory. Father, I'm going to come for mine own. I will see the travail of my soul and I shall be satisfied. And he's there, but he has to go through the cross. He has to bleed and he has to die. And he has to be in pain and shame and suffering and anguish. He has to experience it and take it all in for you and I. we might be saved. And no man comes with his, I'm not a bad person. <laughs> when you get the grips with what he has done and whom we are without him depraved in our nature, you get the grips with it and the Holy Ghost gives you eyes to see. You realize, Lord, your mercy endures forever. God bless you this evening.